This is episode 149. I am your host, Russ Shaw. is another bumper by the Foo Fighters, the same song, Walk, same song as the last episode, because it's part two of the conclusion of the Tenth Commandment. That's right, rounding it out, 16 shows on the Tenth Commandment, this is 17, and uh, I'm, I'm done, I'm done after this one, alright, I just went a little long-winded, so uh wanted to go ahead and make a part two rather than have you listen to me for an hour and one audio track which is annoying hour hour and a half i don't know i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go for it the conclusion of the tenth commandment part two hopefully through this uh conclusion and through some of the series of shows on the tenth commandment i've shown through theology and through social science and social psychology some of the truth that this punk rock song by one of my favorite punk bands so beautifully illustrates here you go That is uh, punk rock from Texas. I uh, used to say in some of the early shows, I would say that everyone is changing, you know? And that's true, right? Everyone changes eventually. We all change. I like what the song said, you know, in that bumper. Everything, you know, the trends and the faces, they change over time. You know, people come in and out of our lives things that we like, we get tired of or bored of, and we like something else later on. Different trends, but underneath, we kind of stay the same, don't we? This is why I want to write this book, Three Layers of Identity, and it's kind of scattered about on my computer, kind of like my my mind is <laughs> scattered about. But uh, yes, putting it all together and the facts are we do have different layers to who we are and that heart level inner life 
is some of the most stubborn areas that usually we don't even look at. You know, it's locked away in there. It doesn't see the light of day. So how do we expect it to change when it's not brought, you know, into the light, so to speak? So many secrets and people talk about the skeletons and um, being in the closet is another term that's come out, you know, recently with the homosexual movement and what it means to come out of the closet. What does that mean? Because that's a very revealing term, isn't it? And it all really comes back to this, this inner life. That inside, in our hearts, we tend to stay the same. And there's some things about us that just are going to stay the same because God created us to be a certain way. And there's some things that are deep in our hearts that are sinful and need to change and we need to repent of them and in order for us to do that we really got to have some people around us that we trust we really got to you know unlock and unbolt this door to you know the behind the counter life right i saw a, a blog and this guy was talking about that that you know touching on the inner life and secrets and you know, I talk about the behind-the-counter analogy. Um, some people are like a casino, and, and their behind-the-counter is like the, the cash room at the casino, right? Where it's it's a vault, and uh, nobody gets in unless they got a you know fingerprint technology or some kind of elaborate combination and password, and you pass through one door, and, and then there's bars, and then there's you know, security guards, and then you pass through the other door, and that was very much like me early on in in my recovery. I was, you know what, I'm going to let you in, but you really got to get through some of these, uh, some of these checkpoints, man. And gradually I started to loosen those checkpoints on who I would let behind the counter, and I started to grow in a, in a kind of strength of, of who I was and started to realize what I was built on and, and how flimsy that was and that's why I had all these these security measures when it came to really letting someone in and letting someone know me including my wife right? I mean that's a big thing about sex addicts we got so many secrets and we live a double life and it's become a double life because it's kind of evolved into that. The evolution of the double life is this separation between my heart and the things that you see that I let you see. I was reading another interesting article about the, the de-anonymification of the internet. I don't know if that's an, a word. It's probably not. Uh, anonymification, anonymous. The internet in its early, in the 90s, in, in the early 2000s, was very much anonymous. And now that we have things like social networking, we are starting to see that it's harder, and it gets getting harder and harder to be anonymous with your online life. So it's it's kind of a cool little emotional word picture for someone who's trying to live a double life. How do you live a double life and be involved with things like Facebook? Um, Google Plus now has these circles 
which separate you from other, you know, social circles in your life, which I think is cool because you don't, you know, I mean, that's some of the things with Facebook. You can't let everybody into your inner life. Like, for example, I don't want everybody at work to know that I'm the most listened to guy on the internet in the topic of sexual addiction, right? That's not really great for my, uh, my work life. I don't mind people knowing that about me. Um, I, I talk about being a Christian. I'm pretty uh, open about that. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, there's some things that we do keep secret. But what what is really growing you, right? You're growing. You're evolving, so to speak. I, I, I less like the word evolve because evolve, you know, the evolution a metaphor if you really get into the roots of it, has to do with survival of the fittest, right? It's not always healthy to be the the one who survives because he's the stronger than the other. He eats the weak. I, I don't like that kind of language. It's very religious. There's a lot of religion to that kind of thinking. Hyper self-righteous religion to a survival of the fittest attitude. So this organic kind of growth, getting good nutrients in the soil to grow you in a certain way so you're not, you know, unhealthy, growing into, you know, what, what pops up on the surface is blown away with the first windstorm, but that it's growing good roots down into good soil, into living water and life-giving, right? This is, this is this inner life, what we see below the surface. Jesus makes this metaphor with the uh, metaphor of the seeds that are sown. And he uses this analogy where, you know, some seeds fall on the ground on hard rock and they never get any roots under them. And some seeds fall, you know, on the path and the, the birds come along and eat them. That's why I talked about that in the last podcast and sh- sh- talking about, you know, conformity is because we tend to conform to a group around us and sometimes your friends are like birds and they just eat up what you start to put your faith in, where you start to grow. Those roots start to take hold and then one of your friends comes along with the old gospel of oh, well, you just need to get laid or something like that, some shallow message of familiar truth that has a functionality to it for a little while. So you, you know, let your friend eat your seed. And some grow in good soil, Jesus says, and some take root and some flourish. That's that's the fruit, you know. The Bible's going to talk about these metaphors with having good fruit a good tree bears good fruit what where are we gaining our nourishment from well the reason that they're secrets Russ is because they're shameful now why would I want to bring that stuff up in the midst of other people bring up the the bad stuff the ugly stuff the the shameful stuff the sins of the past why would I want to bring those things up because you learn from them that way, 
right? You learn from your mistakes, right? I learned from my mistakes. Part of being humble is to bring some of those mistakes to the surface so we can learn from them. Yes? You don't sit there and wallow in your failures. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about actually bringing up your secrets, talking about the fact that you're actually human and you have made mistakes, that you've sinned against God, and that he still loves you, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. It's true. And the way to learn from your mistakes is to talk about them. Because the less we talk about them, the more we keep that stuff in the dark, the more it just kind of grows. Like my friend John said, like grows like mold in the dark. Like that nasty thing in the back of your refrigerator that's been there since August, right? Where does our faith stem from? Our faith, our hope, everyone has hope and faith. You get up in the morning, you put your key in your car, you got faith the engine's gonna start. You drive your car to work and you got faith that you're gonna have a job when you get there. And now these are pretty, you know, shallow faith, but again, you, you do have faith. Without faith, you wouldn't leave your house. It even takes faith to have your house, right? I live in the, the pattern Boeing company makes airplanes here in the Seattle area and in my city Everett Washington We have the largest manufacturing facility in the world. It's like the largest indoor building in the world is in my town and What they do is they put these big huge jumbo jetliners together and then after they're all assembled They hand a guy the keys and talk about faith. Would you like to be this guy, right? They hand a guy the keys and they say, all right, we just built this. Go take it for a spin. <laughs> you stand underneath one of these monstrosity jumbo jets. It's like standing underneath a, a six, seven-story building. And you're like, yeah, that could fly, you know? These guys get in there, they turn the key, and they drive it over my house. <laughs> this happens a lot. These Dreamliners and these 747s and, uh, yeah, right over our house. They drive these airplanes. So, yeah, even staying in your home takes faith, don't it? How deep does your faith and your hope go? Because a lot of times, man, especially in this economy, and we've seen this today, and, and some of the sad stories in the news of families and the, lost everything and they've lost their homes because of the economic you know I mean things are starting to turn around now it looks like but I mean people put their faith and hope that yeah I got a job and I got a house and all of a sudden boom that's gone you, you have to build on something a little deeper and for some people this has been a blessing because they start to see their families and they've started to see where they've you know worshiped their job and that's really what it means to repent of the 10th commandment, of covetousness, of being in want of what somebody else has, or having this kind of faith energy in, I don't got that, I don't have that, I'm not that person, so my life is sucks. Because if you're measuring yourself up against others, it always leads to despair or pride. You think you're better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. 
one of the things that doing this show and something I've had to repent of and really grow out of was this, I, I see what I don't want, right? Like that guy has exactly what I don't want. I don't want that, so I'm gonna change. And that would give me some fuel to change. And, and you know, I've even talked about that in the show. Listen, if I can do it, you can do it. Is that, should we repent of that? That's the question I'm gonna raise here. Yeah, there's there's good motivation, and that's good, and that's inspiring when we hear people, you know, who come from jacked up backgrounds, and you know, guys who are missing limbs climb Mount Everest and and stuff like that. It's it's amazing that God shines through those people. But for us to covet them and then realize that you know we don't have the same gifts and talents as anybody else, so it's going to be a different journey for us. And again, that is repenting of the Tenth Commandment. C.S. Lewis, like what C.S. Lewis said, I'm, God's telling each man his own story. So we grow. So we press into God. Um, Isaiah 64, this, this, I've talked about this scripture a lot, and you hear people bring it up in Reform circles especially, that... Your best day of varsity behavior and being good and righteous is dirty menstrual rags. You know, that's the literal translation of that verse in Isaiah 64. But then it goes on to say that God is the potter and we're the clay. That's the point. The point is that he is in control, we're not. That he's got us. That he's forming us and molding us. That's the painful part. He's got to trim stuff off us. He's got to make us more like him. And a guy who was repenting of the 10th commandment and realized that, realized that truth, wrote this. And I know you've heard this before. Even if you're not a Christian, if you're, you know, in somewhere in Western culture, you've heard this before. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Now that's that first verse. This is Psalm 23, all right? That first verse has been translated a couple different ways. I shall not be in want or I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've heard it, it translated that way as well. And I can relate to that as well because I didn't want God messing with my life. I had plans. And God was messing with my plans, and I didn't want that. I wanted to be God. I'm not God. My life didn't turn out as much, as well and shiny as I'd like it to. Because I'm not God. But God is... Check this out. Again, going back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Did you hear that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Going back to the fourth commandment. Sabbath, right? He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, for his glory, not for my freaking glory. I want to be a glory whore and take all the glory for myself. And that's just not what the book says, not what the Bible talks about. Our righteous acts and deeds 
we do them so we can glorify our Father in heaven. Anyway, sorry, I, I keep getting moving. <clears throat> Verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's Psalm 23. As you may know, I have been, over the last few years, I've been learning, trying to gain more wisdom. I've been praying for wisdom, and then I've found like lectures online, and I listen to lectures to help gain more understanding over what, uh, what I'm doing here with the podcast. Uh, listen to lectures at Berkeley. I've listened to lectures at Yale. I've listened to lectures at Oxford University. And recently I've been listening to lectures at CCEF, which is a Christian counseling um, website. They, they train counselors. Uh, the doctor, uh, David Palzen, I've been listening to. Brilliant man. Doctorate in theology and psychologies, right? RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary. It's another uh, college I listen to. I listen to a bunch of uh, classes at RTS. They actually have an app now, an app for your smartphone, RTS, in the app store, whatever you're using. So, yeah, listening to lectures, learning stuff, getting around people who know more than I do. These are just people that I've been able to, because of technology, because of the magic of the Internet, right, because of the... Uh, living today the good old days have come and gone bs man good old days are here and now i can sit in like a drop in and just listen to lectures at at yale for free just an awesome time to be alive man i love this stuff but one thing i've really realized is that I am more of a coach than a counselor. And really looking back at my own story, and a lot of people say, listen, Russ, I listen because you've been through it. And I can hear it in your heart. And I can hear it in your voice. And I can hear it in your story. You've been through this. You know what's going on. And that's why I listen. And, and here's the deal, all right? The people that have motivated me, the people that have moved me, the reasons that this thing started to shed were people that motivated me to reminders, right, building my relationship with God, realizing that there is a spiritual aspect to this, that this is more of a spiritual problem than a psychological one, that there is a, such a thing as the Holy Spirit, and my biggest stubborn, right, fearful heart just kept me locked in second gear. So the, the people that really spoke into my life the most were people that motivated me to get off of my own stubborn, fear-based uh, afraidness and actually move. People that motivated me to move. And that's really where my heart is as a coach rather than a counselor. And this was really uh, blown up and accentuated recently when I got an email from a listener who talked about that something I said in an earlier show that was pretty controversial when it came to the Apostle Paul where I said that Paul got himself out of that one when it came to this encounter with Jesus. Like, uh, 
Paul had a decision to make. Paul chose to follow Jesus. And that, you know, and, and that stirs up like this Calvinist versus Anglican kind of a thing. It's this weird philosophical argument that's been going on for centuries. But anyway, um, <laughs> what, I was tr- what I was saying is that, yes, Paul did turn and follow Jesus. Paul let people behind the counter in his life when he went to this city, did what Jesus said, talked to this man, repented of his sin, right? Paul calls himself, you know, in the Bible, he calls himself the chief of sinners in Corinthians. Humbled himself, okay? Well, he had an encounter with Jesus, all right? Yeah, you know what? Another guy who had an encounter with God, his name was Pharaoh. He had quite a few encounters with God. His brother comes to him and and says, set my people free, and Pharaoh, right, he, he doesn't do what Paul did. Over and over, God has to show him he's more powerful than Pharaoh. Loving, like, you know, that's how God is chasing after our hearts, man. God isn't up there, you know, trying to hurt people for the sake of hurting people. God loves people and he didn't make robots. He wants us to choose to love him. So yes, Paul, you know, the knee down in submission to God through Christ became a Christian. Pharaoh did not. All right? Hope you get that. All right? I'm not trying to be a heretic. A lot of these people who say that Paul didn't have a choice, you know, Jesus changed his heart. Well, you know, again, Pharaoh, right? I was more like Pharaoh. It took me a lot of thumps on the head, a lot of destruction, a lot of me lighting my life on fire for God to wake me up and for me to listen and to actually let people in, right? I saw this shirt at Hot Topic and it had a monkey on it and the monkey's missing one arm and there's like a bandage around the arm where his, you know, the stub is and on the other arm he's holding a stick of dynamite, right? And it's lit and at the bottom it says slow learner. Okay, that's like, that's like me. But yes, the story of Pharaoh. Seriously though, you know, that's a tragic story. And listen, Pharaoh had it all, right? It talked about your dreams coming true, realizing your purpose. I don't know. I mean, the guy had a big ego, to say the least, right? I mean, people worshipped him as God. I mean, he forced people to worship him as God. Set my people free, says the, the God of the Bible. And, uh, yeah, the Pharaoh wasn't listening. And it did not go well for him. And really, what's cool about being in the church, and what's cool about, um, again, having people in my life that were giving me a motivation to move, and it's something that I want to encourage you with as well, is that the people that I met saw two Russ Shaws, right? Two Russ Shaws come into the office, and, and my good motivate counselors who helped me, who loved me, just gave me reminders to who I actually was. Because the two Rushaws would sit in the office, one of them was very much listening to the Red Lizard, right? That thing that kept telling me to go back to 
my addiction, that thing that sat there right with me and said, hey, you know what? This person can kill it. This person can take away me, your addiction. He can do it. And then what are you going to do? And then who will you be when I'm not there anymore? So my wife also was a big part of this. She would, she would, I mean, she's read some of your emails, right? I mean, she's there. She's, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I don't have any secrets. I don't say, oh, you can't read those. No, my wife has full access. All right. She keeps everything very quiet and very, um, right. She's not going to go blab about your stuff. All right. So yes, you are safe when you email me, my wife and I, right. So she's, and she's not read all of them, but she's read a lot of the emails and she's like, Russ, it's great that you're a safe place, but you need to also be, and I want you to really be a safe place for these guys' wives and for these guys who are single, who's their future wives, right? Be a safe place for them as well. Pastor Mark said that too. I mean, he'd have guys come into his office and confess stuff like, you know, they thought he was a Catholic priest or something. And he'd be like, well, we need to tell your wife, all right? You've, you've slept around. You've been with dozens of prostitutes. We need to, te to have your wife tested, and we need to tell your wife. And they'd be like freaking out. I'll sue you, you know? It's like Pastor Mark's going, listen, I'm your wife's pastor too. And when I went to, right, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could tell uh, Pastor Dan about the affairs, about the affairs, the adultery. And I realized hearing that, that man, that doesn't sound like a very safe place, but it's a very real place. Pastor Dan, was Pastor Dan a safe place? Yes, you know why? Because Pastor Dan saw the rust shaw that wasn't owned by sin. Pastor Dan saw the rust shaw and wanted to encourage the rust shaw who wasn't listening to that, my red list, my dark passenger, to use uh, uh, from a TV show. Those of you who, who've seen it know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I, I listen to that voice. Some of you, the main reason you're still addicted after all those years is you continue to invest in the wrong you, right? It's that two-dog story that I love so much. It's on the website, asi247.org. If you haven't read it, it's, it's a pretty cool, powerful story. Here's the story. I'll tell it again, just so you were curious. It's from uh, American Indian folklore legend, right, where an uh, Indian chief is sitting... He's like an elder and he's sitting and he's really concerned and he looks like he's in deep thought. And, you know, this guy comes up, uh, apprentice of his, and, and says, uh, you, you look so troubled, sir, what's the matter? And he says, it, it's like there's two dogs inside me fighting all the time. One is, one is consumed by, you know, short-term happiness, consumed by bitterness and judging other people. The other one is uh, able to rest. The other one is uh, encouraging. The other one is where my creativity flows from. 
the other one is uh, loving and kind. And he says, these two dogs are inside me, you know, one of fire and one of choking smoke, one of consuming beautiful light and one of, of nasty consuming smoke and, and fire. He says, like, it's like the light dog and the smoking, choking out life dog are continually fighting inside me, these two dogs. So the apprentice says to the elder, he says, well, which dog is going to win this fight? And the elder says, the dog I feed. The dog I feed the most, that's the dog that's going to win. And listen, one thing I've learned with my Christian faith is that I'm horribly and crazy forgetful. My heart for my inner life and what I know to be true on the inside needs to be constantly reminded of what's true and real. Because, listen, I had real reasons for being afraid, all right? Especially before my confession. I had real bona fide reasons for being scared. There was good reason for me to be afraid. But, also, there was very good reason for me not to be afraid. Right? There was very good reason for me to walk and take steps in faith and to actually live in the truth. And I, right, I talked about the bomb squad in those early shows and getting people around you to help contain the blast. But really realizing and relying on and asking in the Holy Spirit. Because you can't get enough food on your own to feed that dog. Can I tell you that? That's true. You will not get enough food on your own outside there to feed that dog. You're going to need help. And God wants to give you help. And Jesus is real. And he does want to give you real spiritual food. People say, oh, I never heard from God. I never, you know, God never sent me an email. I used to say that, angry, pissed off, going, I never heard from God. God never told me what to do. Listen, God wrote a book, all right? God wrote a book, and he wants you to read it. And he wants you to listen to him when you read it. He wants you to take time to be in relationship with him. He wants you to give you that food because he wants you to win he wants you the real inside right light giving life giving you to win not the other you that's fighting for control that's fighting to gain ground in your life in your soul there is another you and listen can I tell you something I'm not a safe place for your other you all right I love you enough to not to be a safe place for the other you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to encourage you. I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to constantly try and pull you out into the light. And that's not just confession. It is. That's a big part of it. But pulling you out into the light is to realize who you really are inside. I'm not just going to be a safe place for you to put your money and have somebody listen because they're getting a check. And that's not always the reason they do it. But, you know, a counselor, a, a psychotherapist will sit there and listen to you for years and not challenge you on anything. I know that because I've been there. Man, I pray that you guys get that. That's why I'm a Christian. I don't have enough spiritual chow for my good dog. 
the anti-Psalm 23 would be, I am afraid, I do fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear. Because I don't got enough chow for my good dog, right? Because I'm doing this all on my own. So I have fear, legitimate, real fear. I do fear evil because of I'm all on my own. And I'm out of dog food for my good dog, all right? I've been there. So I would pray and I would ask God to help break my selfish, stubborn, wanting to stay alone habits. And I would get around people. And I would go into church and I would listen to the pastor and the pastor would do sermons and I would be reminded. And, you know, listen, the reason I talk about Pastor Mark so much is because he's my pastor and I listen to him every Sunday most every Sunday, right? I, I hear him. Um, he says brilliant stuff, and he reminds me of things, and then I, I talk about him, right? If I went to your church in your city, listen to your pastor, I'm sure he's pretty brilliant as well, and I would be, like, stirred by stuff he says. That's the cool thing about pastors, you know, is that they remind you. They remind you of things that the heart has such a, a, a short memory, right? like your soul has less of a memory. Your soul and your heart are less connected to your brain than you think. You know, something they say in recovery, don't believe everything you think. It's pretty important. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of mention that. You know, I, I bring up Pastor Mark a lot because he's my pastor. And, and he, he, he reminds me. It's kind of like pastors, you know, and he brought that up too, you know, being reminded. It's in the Bible. Paul says that. I, I'm reminding you. I'm reminding the saints, right? That's not, if you're Catholic, all right, that's not, you know, the religious dudes or people they make little statues out of, all right? The saints, that's you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe your blood bought, your sin has been purchased by him on the cross, you're a Christian, you're the saints, all right? You don't have to be uh, qualified in sainthood and get the rubber stamp from some religious dude with a hat and a robe in order to be a saint, okay? That's religion. Again, it's, it's fallacy. It's, it's, it's error, all right? Error on the play, okay? That's something Pastor Mark said that I thought was brilliant, is Jesus has two main enemies. It's sin and religion. But I just I pray that you get that. I pray you hear me in that, all right? Reminders. It's good to have a pastor in your life giving you reminders. And listen, that's not me, by the way, all right? This is just a podcast. I'm not clergy. I'm not your pastor, I'm not your priest, I'm not your deacon, elder, any such thing of the kind. I'm just a dude rapping at you through your headphones on your, on your device, alright? Pastor's kind of like that. Remember that little paper clip that came up? I'm dating myself a little bit, but I don't know. If you remember that, like in the in the late 90s, early 2000s, they, uh, Windows, if you used like Word or something like Office, uh, that little paperclip dude would pop up and, and like remind you of stuff that you, you already knew. 
<laughs> it's kind of annoying that little paperclip guy is like, ding, hey, let me remind you of something you already know. Um, <laughs> in with a, with a pastor, that's good because we forget stuff, right? It's important. We're reminded of things that's like, oh yeah, right. Like I, sometimes we just get so heavily burdened by life and stuff that happens, and we we think that it's never gonna change. It's gonna stay this way. And oh, woe is me! Then you go to church, and the pastor says something, and bing, right? That paperclip guy comes up, and it's like, yeah, that's right. That's awesome. I can, I can take, right? I can take shelter in that piece of truth because it's true. Because I forgot. Getting to church, man, it's important. And I would get around people who would actually know me. And those people would remind me, right, of some of these scriptures that I, I, I knew were true. That, that they're true, right? Rebuilding and bolstering my own truth claims. See, because I needed Jesus to be who he said he was. I mean, when I would sit back and say, hey, that Christian thing works for you, it doesn't work for me. What I was really saying was, I don't have enough faith to believe that. Maybe some of that stuff's true and it works for you, that's great, but I don't, I don't got it, man. I don't get it. I don't have it in me. Help me. And really what that was rooted in, the premise of that little argument I had with myself was... Is Jesus real? Is it real? Is he tangible? I needed Jesus to be who he said he was. I guess a good emotional word picture to, to maybe bring this to light is my faith was like a car, right? And I knew that there was ideologies and the law and morality and all that. Like I knew all that stuff existed, but it, I couldn't see myself... It, I, I couldn't see it working for me. Like, I knew the car existed. It's kind of like dad gives you the keys, right? And the premise of that is because dad loves you. He gives you the keys. It's like, here, I love you. Here's this vehicle. Now, you can drive it. But I didn't know how to drive it. I was afraid to get behind the wheel of it because I didn't think it would work. I didn't think it would run. I didn't think it would actually go down the road. Can I place my faith in that because it's real and true? Or is it just some religious hocus-pocus voodoo that I would believe? I really wanted to believe it, but I, I was so afraid to put my faith in it. I had to face my fear of investigating this thing because I'd been so disappointed in the past. There's this quote by C.S. Lewis, and, and Dr. David Pallison was talking about this, and it reminded me of it, and it's so beautifully true, that our love for God as human beings is a need love. It's a need love. I need you, Father. Like, I need you to know. I need you. I need you. And I need to see, I need to see this thing work. I need to know that it's real. I need to know that it's tangible. I need to know that I can walk in it, right? That my whole life had been this vast, internal, inner need, right? This inner need for that love to be real. 
Not to just be religion or do's and don'ts or try harder. No, that wasn't what it was about. That the Old Testament covenant, right? The old covenant of works wasn't just there to, to destroy our fun, but to give us more joy, right? To give us more love, to help us love God and love other people better. That's why it was there. That's why it is there. That's why the vehicle is in the driveway, right? God hands us the keys because he loves us. And that need, it wasn't to do the right thing or be the right me or, you know, my best life now. It wasn't about that at all. It was about my need for God, for Jesus, who wants me to live for real. I come to give life and give it more abundantly, he says. That's for real. I saw that on a wall in a Christian school and I like scoffed at it and it made me mad and it was a one of those things that stirred me on the inside stirred me for that inner need for God like need that craving underneath all the other cravings that were eating away at my very life at my very flesh underneath all the cravings was that inner need for God that's why the 10th commandment, I heard John Frame talking about it in that theology class at RTS I listened to, and it, it is so profound that the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, and it's not just God pointing the finger, barking orders, but when you understand that, you don't need a thing, right? That's Psalm 23, the correct translation of verse 1 in Psalm 23 is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The message translation, the message Bible translates it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not need a thing. The NIV says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If you go to the website, asi247.org, you click on the faith tab. A lot of those are my notes, just me studying stuff, me clearing up some of that cognitive dissonance, right? That these things that come together in my mind, cognitive dissonance is this uncomfortable feeling between two uh, conflicting thoughts. These things that I just I didn't understand and I get into scripture and study that stuff. Why religious people would hand me this book called My Utmost for His Highest. My utmost was dog do, right? My utmost was not even close to anything that would even keep my life moving. Jesus' utmost was for my highest. I have a whole Bible study on that, right? That, that book was given to me twice and it was just more works-based religion. I thought, oh, great. My utmost, my utmost is dog crap. And then I read Philippians 3 and Apostle Paul said the same thing. And his utmost was varsity compared to mine. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. When I started to see this as true, as real, as reality, not just words in a book, but God talking to me, Russ Shaw, through the realm of time, through the window of 
scripture, God's message to me, God's loving me with these words. And I started to get a hunger for it, man. I started to want that, right? I want that. I want, I want more of that. I want more truth. I want to drink that in. At verse 6, surely goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life. Man, that is a heart condition. That is an attitude of the heart. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? Come what may. Not based on circumstances. Not based on God doing something for me. I know that I will fear no evil because you are with me. This is a punishment. Suffering, whatever season you may be going through. Man, it's, it's just part of life. And then there's things that you can gather, right? Attitudes of the heart that you can apply. Truth, new truth, deeper, long-lasting, foundational, tangible truth that you can build your life on. That's real, man. You're not listening to me by accident. I love you guys, man. I'm going to leave the show right there. That's the end of the 10th commandment. Closing it out. I do care about you guys, man. I love you guys. If you want to chat, talk about it, um, ASI247.org. Russ at ASI247.org. Most people like to talk to me private, right? It's not all Facebook and Twitter type of material. I'm going to end the show with this song. All right? This is a song that a listener sent me. Uh, bass player for the Smashing Pumpkins did a solo album. And I'm, I'm not going to try and pronounce her name because I would mess it up. But uh, check this out. Love this tune. It'll be on the website ASI247.org. You click on the music tab, you can download all the tunes that you hear on the show there, at least here in the Tenth Commandment uh, series of shows. Anyway, had some technical difficulties, but anyway, check it out. ASI247.org, click on the music tab. This song is awesome. Totally reminds me of how God is pursuing us, how Jesus is after us. The song is called The Key, and it uh, reminds me of that need that C.S. Lewis, you know, so eloquently describes the, the need that we all have for God. In this song, right, the key, it's, this is a great metaphor, that I would have these intense things of pain, you know, and I would complexify the, play, the pain by, you know, muddying up with binges of, you know, I don't know, addiction or even shopping or, you know, just sinking myself into running from the hurt, you know, or something that I really enjoyed or the heat of, of life when, when it was good even, right? Like that's another thing with addicts. Sometimes the things we enjoy, we enjoy way too much and we crank that thing up to 11 and then it starts to consume our life. But underneath all that, right, is the creator, the, the God that's after us, he stands at the door and he knocks and all we have to do is open the door and let him in. And that's the beauty of the presence of God. And listen, the key for me was, it was really finding the reason, 
right? This constant pursuit of freedom and realizing how did I define freedom? Finding a concrete, real, tangible definition of freedom and what I was actually living my life for. A real, concrete definition of freedom and love. It's the key. And it's found in Jesus Christ, God's presence. And that's the truth. Till next time, I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me, man. Bye. salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Revelation 12.10 Matthew 16.25 For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16.25 New King James Version Luke 9:22-23 NIV and he said the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life then he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hebrews 8.10.10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hebrews 8.10 2nd Peter chapter 1, 5 through 8 For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. 1. And virtue with knowledge. 6. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. 7. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 